You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. You can have a seat. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you. Um, This morning, we are wrapping up a message series uh, this morning called Believe, and uh, I'm excited. We're in John chapter 8. We're going to be finishing up this section. Next week, we're going to be moving forward and jumping into John chapter 9, a new teaching series uh, looking at it. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? Those of you that are new, my name's Ryan. Glad that you decided to join us this morning. We're going to have a great time this morning uh, in God's Word. We've been in the Gospel of John for over a year, and we're in chapter 8, finishing it up today. I'm excited about that. The, The message title for today is Jesus Faces Intense Conflicts and What to Do When You Do Too. That's a very uh, long title. Uh, I figured I'd make it complicated on our AV team to type all that in and all the podcasts and all that stuff. But it's an appropriate title. It's kind of a two-part message today. And so um, we need to look at the life of Jesus Christ. John chapter 8, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Verses 48 through 59. And uh, the theme of this message today is the intensification of conflict in the life of Jesus Christ, how he deals with it, and then how you're going to be able to navigate through your own personal conflicts. Jesus is at a, it's a fever pitch conflict. We're going to see his life has been, uh, he's been a life of persecution from the very, very beginning of his ministry. And so uh, we're going to see today just how to navigate through that and look at how Jesus manages that. How many of you would say you could acknowledge that some conflict is good? Raise your hand. You're right. Uh, Too much conflict is bad, but you need a little conflict. How many of you guys would say that you're either in conflict right now or you sense you're about to be in conflict at some level or another family, work, or whatever be the case? Okay, yeah. Truth be known is you're either in conflict currently right now or you just came out of conflict or you're going into conflict. Like the Christian life is not an easy life. It's the best life, but it's not easy. Jesus says in this world, you will find you're going to face what? You're going to have trouble, all sorts of trouble. Uh, Ray LaMontagne uh, has a, a, a great song called Trouble. And uh, it seems to always be chasing him is what he's talking about. How he's constantly troubled, just keeps following him around. It's uh, been the story of my life as a young boy, uh, uh, just in trouble. I had two other brothers. And so you can imagine with three boys in the household, there's going to be trouble in the home. Uh, when I first got married, uh, even when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, there was trouble because people didn't even believe that I was a genuine born again Christian. And so there was trouble just even in my faith in Jesus Christ. When I first got married, I met my wife. I'm going back to country songs. That's how I relate. I go back, I like uh, Johnny Cash has that song, uh, We Got Married in a Fever. Uh, I got married with my wife. I met her and married her within nine months. And uh, we stayed faithful to Jesus. We stand strong and stay pure. But by that time, I knew I'd been around. I'd seen different people and dated different people. I knew. I saw her. I said, man, she is beautiful. I want to marry her. I, I, I found out her heart was even more beautiful. So she saw me. I had long hair. And she was like, I hope he cuts that. <laughs> and uh, I found out that's what she said. And literally, I like got it cut. I got a buzz cut right away. I did whatever it took. Uh, I remember um, 
when we got married, we had conflict. Um, it's like we didn't realize that there was a whole backstory to life that we had to work out. And so we got married. Honeymoon, major conflict. You're not supposed to have that on your honeymoon. How many of you have went on your honeymoon and had conflict? Raise your hand. Confess right now. There you go. Okay. So here's what happened with us. We go on the honeymoon. We're on the honeymoon. And I told her, I, we went up to the Ozarks. And it was back to, connected to my family and the ranching and the outdoors. And so I'm like, I'm bringing her in. And I had horses arranged and we had went horseback riding through the Ozarks. It was snowing. We stayed at the big Cedar Lodge up there or Bass Pro, whatever deal. Had this huge experience, wonderful thing. Then we go out to this remote area. I had four wheelers brought in. We're driving around seeing waterfalls. And one morning I just said, hey, I'm going to go squirrel hunting. And she's like, you didn't tell me you were going to go squirrel hunting. And I'm like, I didn't know I had to tell you I'm going squirrel hunting. So then it begins right there. And she's like, well, I thought we could just sit around and sip coffee and just have a little devotional. And I'm like, when I get back, yeah, that sounds good. So then uh, something happens. I don't remember quite how it happened. And, and then we get into a fight. Now, how many of you get in fights with your spouse and you, at the end of it, you don't even remember what you're fighting about? So we get into some fight, and uh, I've had permission to share this part, so don't worry. Uh, we get into a fight, and I remember thinking to myself in my head, man, this is not going how I planned. I thought it would be a lot easier than this. This is like day two or three of the marriage. And uh, we start having a lot of conflict, and it was around time and how to spend the time and what to do and preferences and seeing eye to eye. And so somehow in the midst of this conflict, it moved very quickly from a difference in ideas to all of a sudden emotions start rising. You ever been in a conflict before and you can feel the emotions start just intensifying? And it's like you're getting nervous and amped up and parts of you that you know are not good and godly start to come out. Well, long story short, she, uh, she uh, gets really upset. I say, you know what, I'm going, I'm leaving. So I ran out of the door and um, uh, came back and back and forth. We were kind of arguing a little bit and I wanted to go squirrel hunting. So um, we get into it a little bit and then something happens to where she starts breaking down and crying and I didn't understand what was going on because I guess I just didn't process that side of the relationship. And so um, I end up going squirrel hunting. I'm probably messing up the story a little bit. And um, I come back and she and I get into it again. And then the, she ends up kind of like saying, you know what? I just want you to take me home right now. I want you to take me home right now. And I'm thinking to her, like, where is home for her? Like, we just got married. Aren't, aren't we the home? And she says, you know, take me back. Take me back to my dad's house. Take me back. Take me home. And I looked at her and I was like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. The two shall leave and cleave to one another and the two shall become one and leave your father's household. So Bible starts cranking in and, <laughs> I'm, you know, and she's like, don't do that, you know. And so we start fighting again and arguing. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what I did. I just, it sounds terrible. But I grabbed my shotgun and I said, you know what? <laughs> now I've got a shotgun in my hand. And I said, I'm going squirrel hunting again. And by the way, you are home. 
And then I slammed the door and I walked out and I thought, yeah! And then I thought, that was terrible, that was terrible. I mean, that's what you do to a guy, you know? And uh, I go out and I'm squirrel hunting again and I'm miserable. Holy Spirit thick. My heart is convicted. I am an idiot. I, 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 I broke my, the spirit of my wife, you know, and she's crying. I walk in, she's crying on the ground and I'm upset. I remember sitting underneath that tree and I had that cold new ring on my finger. And I was like, I got married. I was like, what am, what am I going to do? And the Lord just spoke to me and said, you go in and you love her in the mighty name of Jesus. And you, you repent, you repent. You are an idiot. So I go in and immediately, that's how all the fights go at my house. I'm an idiot. I love you. I am so sorry. And we make up. And here's the truth of the matter when it comes to life and conflict. Man, we're either in conflict, we're about, we just got out of conflict, or we're going to go through conflict. The Christian life is a life, there's challenges. And so when we look at the person and the work of Jesus Christ, what we're going to see today is this man was made through conflict. The very beginning of his ministry, he walks into a synagogue. It had been like the YMCA of the day, and he starts to preach. And immediately after the preaching, they arrange basically a, a team to drag him out to the edge of town and throw him off a cliff. Jesus Christ has been doing ministry, preaching and teaching um, about the righteousness of God, declaring and demonstrating that he is God for some two and a half years at the time that we're going to pick up this story today. Uh, this is the very tail end of John chapter 8, which I believe is the kind of, it is the temple discourse. It is a very long section of Scripture that captures the life of Jesus Christ in this festival called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, a time of celebration where the nation of Israel would come together and remember about the goodness and the glory of God and how he delivered the people out of Egypt and led them by a pillar of fire by night and by day and he'd bring down manna from heaven and the water would be flowing from the rocks and it was a time to remember the goodness of God. Jesus shows up in the midst of it and says, I am God. I'm that fulfillment of this whole festival. This whole festival is actually about me. And so obviously there's gonna be people that are gonna be like, you're crazy, you're a liar. Jesus says, no, actually, you're the liar. There's only two families, by the way. You're either in the family of God or in the family of Satan. And that's the options. Here we go, John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. Um, I'm just going to jump straight to the text, and then I'm going to come back and show you some of the three stages of conflict. So we're picking up in verse uh, 48, and then I'm going to show you these three stages of conflict and then I'm going to walk you through how you can walk through conflict as well. Verse 48, uh, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? They're angry, they're mad, they're calling him all sorts of names, a Samaritan to the Jewish people. They were racist, by the way. Jesus was not racist. Uh, Jesus actually... Um, Remember, he went and ministered to a Samaritan woman. He went straight into Samaria and ministered to a woman uh, who was a Samaritan. Uh, the parable of the good Samaritan. Uh, 
he makes the Samaritan the hero. But a Samaritan in the Jewish mindset back in this time frame uh, would have been a traitor. Uh, back in 722 BC, hundreds of years before the time of Jesus Christ, Israel came under attack by Assyria. Uh, and they came in and they invaded Israel and destroyed the northern kingdom, plundered and uh, took people away, and then infiltrated and planted a lot of Samaritans and others into that area and Assyrians, and they practiced a syncretistic, a paganistic worship where they were doing like children, child sacrifice, all sorts of debauchery. And all of a sudden, the Jewish faith is completely watered down, intermingled, messed up, and it's all, it's just complete animosity, long history of hatred. And they call Jesus a Samaritan, and they go further and they say, maybe you have a demon. Maybe you're demon-possessed. Some uh, Jewish historians have noted that Jesus, oh, there was rumors about Jesus that he played around with witchcraft and the occult when he was younger and that he did his powers by powers of Satan. And that's still rumors to this very day. Uh, Jesus uh, is being accused. Verse 49, Jesus answered very clearly, I do not have a demon. He just says it like that. He doesn't slap the guy, he doesn't yell at him. He doesn't uh, lose his cool. He just says, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father. That's what he says. And you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus is saying that he's the essence and the access point for eternal life. He goes further. The Jews respond. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon, verse 52. Verse 52, the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, and yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Verse 54, Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Jesus is saying, the very God that you uh, say you worship, he's the one who gives me glory. He's the one who sent me. Verse 55, Jesus continues, but you have, you have not known him. You're not a believer. That's what he's saying. You don't, you don't know God. I know him, he says. If I were to say I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I, kept, I, kept, I keep his word. Verse 56, your father, Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Verse 57, so the Jews said to them, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Well, the Bible says is that Jesus eternally existed. He didn't just come to being. He didn't come and begin to exist at Bethlehem. Jesus eternally existed. In John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and He was with the Word. Jesus is God. He's eternally existed. I believe maybe when Moses saw that burning bush, it was the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus is a uh, there, he's seen all of this. He's been there. He's been there with Moses. He's been there with Abraham. 
Verse 58, Jesus says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That phrase right there would have uh, been the self-identifier that Jesus Christ is the Lord. There's only three categories we can put Jesus in. He's either the Lord, he's a lunatic, or he's a liar. Who is the Lord to you? Who is Jesus Christ? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That right there would get him crucified. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 59, they're ready to kill him. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. He didn't serve as a martyr at that moment. He had ministry to do. He removes himself from the conflict, which was escalated to physical violence, and he, he, he moves and he hides. I think there's three stages of conflict that we just saw, and I think there's three stages of conflict that you and I all go through at some point or another, or we've seen it. Number one is the ideological stage. Different ideas, difference of thought, different of processing. The Jewish people were not, uh, by and large, rejected Jesus Christ under the idea that he was not at all the Messiah. He's not at all truly uh, the one that they had been anticipating. Some believed, some shared his ideas, even in this crowd, perhaps at the edge of the temple steps after a long week of ministry, of teaching and preaching. Some agreed with him. That's what the scripture says in John chapter 8. Some believed. There's a lot that didn't. There is conflict. There was conflict of ideas. You, as a Christian follower of Jesus Christ, don't we feel this? Your ideas, there's conflict. You voice your ideas, even more conflict. As a Christian, you ought to be facing conflict because you have an idea that there is a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. There's only one way to salvation. It's through Jesus. We're to live out our faith, not just in the closed uh, uh, corners of the church, but in all of life. And those values that you have will create conflict, will they not? You decide to take a stand to be pro-life as a believer in Jesus Christ, you'll face conflict. How many of you saw Kanye West in the news recently for voicing his ideas? Conflict. His ideas about pro-life Your ideas will create conflict. Jesus was facing all sorts of conflict right here, but it goes further, right? Stage two would be the emotional. This is when you get into conflict with somebody and it it starts heating up. Conflict easily develops when feelings and emotions escalate. Uh, Research says that some 29% of all employees are constantly in conflict. The emotional well-being of your of who you are is so important. When conflict occurs, which it should occur at some level on a very regular basis for the Christian, when it moves into an emotional conflict, it can escalate very, very fast. What happened with Leslie and I, it moved into emotional conflict really fast. And it was just embarrassing how I acted. conflicts occurred. The intensity of the emotion that Jesus was in, you could feel the intensity. You have a demon. That's what they're saying to him. As believers, we're called to be light in the world. How many of you have ever gotten a magnifying glass and held it and held it in such a way that when you uh, pointed at something, you can literally catch fire. 
the intensity of light. As believers, we're not called to heat everything up so much that it just burns and destroys things. We're to give light to show and to guide and to help and to encourage. As a kid, I'd just sit near an ant pile and be like, go, you're done. And that's what Christians can do sometimes. They're just sitting there from their high horse and shining the light down and burning people up. That's not what God's called you to do. You let your emotions carry out and then you become the bigot. You become the fundamentalist with no love, no compassion, all truth, no grace. Emotional conflict can rise and escalate and ruin and destroy a lot of good families and good people of faith. Number three, the third stage is the physical conflict, and we see this in the text so clearly. Conflict can result into physical violence and death. This is why we have lawyers. This is why we have guns. This is why we have laws. There's evil in the world. People lose control. Conflict of ideas. Escalation stage two of emotion. Acting a fool. The Bible says there's only three kinds of people. There's wise people, foolish people, and evil people. Evil people walk through this. And by the way, Satan is a destroyer. He's trying to destroy your life. He's trying to destroy your marriage. He's trying to destroy your business. He's trying to destroy your ministry. He's trying to destroy your family. That's what he's after for you. You hear the kids talk about cutting themselves. You hear the kids talk about taking their lives, suicides on and high. What's going on? Physical violence against themselves. Who's, who's doing that? Satan. So there's this conflict. 27% of employees say that they've seen personal attacks. I don't know what that looks like. They're throwing erasers and throwing pencils at each other. What? But that's the statistic I found is 27% of people have seen personal attacks in the workplace. So the question comes is uh, Jesus faced intense conflicts and I could face them too. What, what do you do? How do you live? Number one, I would say this. If they dishonor you, here's your responsibility. You honor God. When people dishonor you, try to ruin your reputation, they bring dishonor and shame against you, your job is to respond like Jesus Christ and you honor God. This is exactly, you can go look in your scripture, uh, chapter 8, verse 48. It's not on the screen, but uh, Jesus answered him and says, or the Jews answered and said, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. That's what I do. I honor my father. When you honor the father, you're seeking to take the high road. You're just like, hey, man, no matter what happens, no matter what people say about me, no matter what kind of shame they try to put into my life, I'm going to honor God. My job and responsibility is to honor the father. You need to remember who you are. When you just understand your identity, that'll help you understand how to live in your activity. All the things that you do, how you act, how you respond. Last week I talked about your beliefs really will determine your behavior. If you believe that God is your father and you're a son of the father or a daughter of the father, then you walk with a sense of honor. Lord, everything I do today, I want to honor you. You honor your father. You honor your heavenly father. No matter what happens, you honor your heavenly father. 
What's the problem? Romans 121 says they're without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not honor him. A lot of people will not honor God. Your charge is to honor God, even when you're dishonored. The picture of this is in 1 Corinthians 10.31, the Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, you do your whole life for the glory of God. No matter what you're doing in the business world, in the boardroom, the classroom, the church room, you bring glory to God. Glory to God is not just on Sunday when we sing about it. Your life is to honor God, the Father. And when you do that, it's like, I don't know if you've got a good family or a bad family, but when you walk and you honor your family's name and you honor your your family, there's joy in that. There's blessing in that. If they dishonor you, you just take the high road and you decide, I'm going to honor you, Father. What's the promise? The Bible says, Matthew 5, 11 through 12, Jesus says, hey, blessed are you when others revile and persecute you. I remember I interviewed a a guy named Saeed, he was uh, one of the guys that was big in the news during um, one of the ISIS takeovers. He was a Christian, and uh, he was persecuted for his faith. He was thrown into prison. Uh, he came to Phoenix one time. I met him and shared with him and said, would you come and share at our church? And he was at the Harkins movie theater, and we had him come up, and he shared about the blessing that he found even in being persecuted. He said God's presence was so real and so raw all the time. He said, I almost wish I was back in that place. I don't want to be back in that place, but I almost wish I was back there because the presence and the power of God was so real and raw in my life. It was amazing. Jesus said, hey, guess what? If you're dishonored, there's still blessing in that. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, you have a great uh, heavenly father who rewards your, your life here and now. That's pretty cool to think about. You can't do anything to earn your way to heaven. That's a gift given to you that you freely receive. But there are things that you can do that get you reward in heaven. And that's honoring the Lord. We're going to learn more about that. Number two, if they demonize you, if you just keep his word. You keep the word of God strong in your life. That's going to be your anthem. And that's going to be your true north. If somebody's going to demonize you, make you out to be some wicked, evil person for whatever you believe you're standing up for as it aligns with scripture, you just keep his word. Here's what it says in verse 50. You could look back in the text. He says, yet I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. In other words, you believe in the Lord, you're going to have life. You're not going to get death. Verse 55, he says, but you have not known him. I know him. If I, were to, if I were to say that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. The word of God is your source of strength ladies and gentlemen. When Jesus uh, combated Satan in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry, he spent 40 days fasting and praying and preparing for his earthly ministry. He fought uh, Satan face to face. Satan tempts him and Jesus speaks out and says, hey, listen, it is written. He's calling out on the word. 
He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread and water alone, but every what? Word that comes from the mouth of God. What's your source? How do you, how do you navigate the word? What's really cool is you go to John chapter 1, the, the, John says, in the beginning was the word, and he's referring back to Jesus. If somebody demonizes you, tries to take you out, when you find your intense conflict, you keep his word. The word is your strength. Listen to this. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. We're going to sing about this later. It's the story of the storms and what your life built upon. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, whoever hears the words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But then everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell. The floods came in, the winds blew, it beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You got to hear the word and then obey the word. Some of you hear the word of God preached on Sunday, but you don't put it into action. You're not building your life. I'll tell you why you're not doing it. It's because you truly don't believe it. When you truly believe it, it's going to have an impact on your life and it's going to change your life. The Word is your strength, ladies and gentlemen. When you know the Word of God in your life, it's your strength. It's not only your strength, though. It's your salvation. Here's what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my Word... And believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The whole secret to the Christian life is abiding in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he has revealed to you who he is in the word. Do you know him? Is the only time you get the word of God on Sunday. You need, you need to take the word of God in your life like Jesus already said. Man does not live on bread and water alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. You feed yourself three times a day. Some of you may be more, but you feed yourself. We need the word of God in our life all the time. There's blessing in that. There's strength in that. The Bible also tells us that the word guides our steps. So when people dishonor you, people demonize you, where do you go? How do you live? Psalms 119 says, Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. So here's the reality, guys. Storms are going to come in life. Hardships are going to come. Conflict's going to come. You need the word of God. You need the word of God on, over your life. You need to know that when you're making decisions, they're not just cultural cool ideas or giving in to whatever comfortable concept that has passed through your mind. You need to know that it was deeply impacted and influenced by the scriptures, the word of God. Decisions ought to be made based on what kind of truth do I find in scripture? How's the Holy Spirit working in my life? And I want to navigate through that. Number three, Jesus faced intense conflicts. What do you do when you do too? Number one, or number three is if they try to destroy you, you just keep moving. You just keep moving on. Some of you um, have faced this before where uh, your reputation, your family, the devil has sought to destroy your self-esteem, 
your personal well-being, and maybe you caused it, maybe you didn't cause it, but you feel like you're on the edge of destruction. Somebody's come against you. If they try to destroy you, you just keep moving on. Verse 59 in chapter 8, it says, as they picked up some stones to throw at him, Jesus saw it coming. He's like, this isn't good. They're picking up stones. Those aren't to take home and put on a shelf. Those are intended for me. The Bible says is that Jesus hid and he went out of the temple. He, he didn't just hide because he was scared. He didn't hide because he was scared. He willingly went to the cross. He removed himself because he was moving on. Some of you are in such conflict with some people or things that are going on in your life that the best thing you can do is not stay and fight, right? It's just you need to move on. You're not supposed to stay and fight all this out. Although we feel like warriors a lot of times and we want to prove our point and get it across. There's a lot of times you just need to say, it's not working. Minds have been made up. It's time to move on. Jesus is not moving away and hiding. He's moving away and doing something incredibly productive. He's going to show and share the love of God. And we're going to see that next week in chapter 9. If they're trying to destroy you, maybe your, your reputation, and you see this all the time in the political campaigns, don't you? I mean, man, you're watching these things and you're like, oh, that is a bad person based on that. That guy, that person is evil. Be careful what you believe. Uh, this uh, Thursday, I'm doing, uh, I'm interviewing a godly uh, politician. Yes, that does exist, godly politicians. Um, prospective uh, mayor for uh, Peoria. Uh, doing it on my Facebook Live. Um, and I think you see this kind of stuff where as, at some point when you stand up and choose what you're going to speak up on and believe in, you're going to realize people are going to come against you with full throttle. My prayer is for you guys is that you just stand strong and you keep moving on. Maybe your sins of the past come back to haunt you and hurt you. Just keep moving on, man. Maybe there's some trouble that people have been brewing. Keep moving on. Jesus is rejected and he keeps rolling. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 and following, it's exactly the story I mentioned earlier. When he's in Nazareth, he'd been brought up there. It was his childhood uh, hangout grounds. He was born in Bethlehem and his family moved him up to Nazareth. And then he decides to basically go over to the synagogue and he's going to kind of unveil that he is the Messiah. He came to Nazareth and it was his custom. He'd go into synagogues and on the Sabbath day he stood up to read. And when they heard the things that he was saying, he started saying stuff like only the Messiah could do. He said, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news for the captive. And today, after he's done, he said, all this has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the Messiah, in essence, is what he's saying. The religious people of his day in that room that day, they rose up, they drove him out of the town, they brought him to the brow of the hill which, was, which their town was built and so that they could throw him down the cliff. But the Bible says he passed through their midst and he went away. 
He didn't go away because he was scared again. Jesus is powerful. He could command the angels and boom, have a flight. Like, there goes Jesus. No. But that's not what he did. He just moved right through it. Continuing on, uh, you are going to be rejected for righteousness' sake. What do you do? You just keep rolling. That's what you do. Matthew 10, 14, Jesus says, If anyone does not receive you or listen to your words, or just shake the dust off your feet, leave that house or town, you just keep moving. The Christian life is learning to deal with adversity, conflict, and challenges, and then keep rolling with it. How do you do that? You have the power of the Holy Spirit, man. You have a supernatural power. You have a, a sixth sense. You have something that other people don't have. You have the God, the creator, the one who formed you, fashioned you, trying to get your attention and saying, live by my word, hold on to that, honor me in all the situations. And I'm going to show you, you can keep rolling. This is the life that we have to live. I don't know how long it is for you. I could be doing your memorial service in two weeks. You guys could be attending mine. But well, here's what I do know is the purpose and the plan for your life right now is that you trust God, you live for Him, you seek to honor Him in all things. He's got a lot of good for you and you're just to keep rolling. Jesus says in this world, you're going to find what? You're going to find trouble. Some of you, um, you have experienced it in an immense where folks are trying to destroy your reputation, destroy your faith, destroy your family, destroy your business. You just keep moving. That's what you do as a Christian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. We've closed out John chapter 8, and we thank you for the promise and the power that we find in living according to your word, trusting in your Holy Spirit. We pray now for your blessing and favor on us as we seek to know you. Father, for those that perhaps are in conflict with you, might today, might they turn their hearts and say, I don't want to wrestle with you anymore, God. I want to find peace and power through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I want to receive him today as my Lord and live for him all the days of my life. And Father, for all of us, might we uh, lean on you when we decide to speak up and stand up for what is right and get mud slinged at us. We just keep moving, keep rolling. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Hey, uh, in just a minute, we're going to uh, begin to worship. But one of the ways that we can worship is through giving. The Bible actually says that we're to honor the Lord with our wealth. And one of the ways that you can honor God is just making sure that you're honoring God with what he's given you the ability to do. He's in charge of everything. He owns everything. And when you honor the Lord uh, in giving, you're symbolizing and saying, God, I honor you in all my talents, my abilities, all that I've received. I thank you. And you're asking for God's favor and blessing on that. The Bible says, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits. And so for Leslie and I, that looks like going online, setting it up ahead of time and saying, Lord, use our funds to fuel and fund ministry and missions. And so I want to thank you, all of you that give financially and faithfully online because you've made the decision ahead of time. Good job. Those of you that have a different situation, I want to encourage you to take a step of faith and make that a, a, a regular practice in your life. And that helps build up blessing and ministry and missions in our church. We have an incredible missions program 
And uh, one of my favorites that's going on right now is our Fathers in the Field program. We just had the founder here this morning of Fathers in the Field, a great ministry, great program. And I'm so proud of the many men that serve as father mentors of the fatherless boys. And I thank all of you for your giving and your serving together. We're making a big difference. So let's stand and we're going to continue to worship. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.